Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So, really, really looking forward to today's episode. This episode is a really, really big episode on mindset. So, before I go into today's episode with Andrew Coates, I just wanted to let you know that the next intake of the female fat loss program is going to be starting in February. So, what does the what does the program actually entail? So. What the six-week program is, it will educate you on how to train, how to fuel yourself around your menstrual cycle, how to understand your cravings at various different stages. Also, if you're someone who's coming from a perimenopause background or a menopause background, educate you on that. Anyone with PCOS, endometriosis, postnatal, prenatal, everyone is invited. Everyone can get involved. So how does it work? You get tailored nutrition. So you get your tailored calories. You also get a tailored program, which can be done at home or in the gym, depending on your preference. And everyone is catered to so from someone who hasn't has no equipment to someone who has all the equipment on, in the world. Then you're also given recipe books, which are my fit, fitness pal friendly. The brownies are amazing. I highly recommend to, to try those out as well. And you can pick, get your kids involved with them as well if you've got kids. So it's a six-week program. You're, you're in a Facebook group, but like-minded people, people are sharing their stories, getting involved, sharing their, their, their meals, photos of their meals, questions, there's weekly Q&As. There's so many different things. And it's one of those programs which I'm really, really proud of. And there's someone who signs up, say, in January, then 70% of people come from January into February. So that's how, how beneficial it is. So if you're interested in working with me on a group coaching capacity, the, the next intake will be coming into play on the 13th of February, which is Monday. It's the day before Valentine's. And don't worry, we will take into account Valentine's and we'll get you to your goals. So the price is 169 euro, 169 euro for six weeks. Click in the, the link in the show notes or pop me a DM and we can get you involved and we can get you signed up. So today's episode is with the amazing Andrew Coates. So Andrew is someone who I have kind of followed for a long time in the background. And Andrew has, I think, over a decade worth of experience from coaching people online and also on face-to-face over in Canada. He has Irish links as well. So we we're talking about that. So he's done 19,000 plus client hours and counting with face-to-face pt he works as a coach he also is the host of the lift free and diet hard podcast and he's a fitness writer he's a co-founder of the mc of the evolve canadian strength symposium he's do- is doing a lot of traveling now going to talk about events and he's he's he's, he's incredible and his mindset is awesome and that's what we're going to really focus on today's episode so one of the things that we're kind of very careful to talk about is we're talking about leading by example of how to how important it can be for someone to be a role model to someone that may be younger and kind of utilizing that as a tool we also talk about kind of what a lot of people try to do is eliminate foods so we're trying to talk about how to include those foods and still keep that focus for yourself we talk about that on or off mode as well and those dichotomies that all or nothing attitudes that really could help the big one that we're going to talk about as well is can you lose fat and build muscle at the same time? I think a lot of people are going to be able to figure out this now and it's going to be amazing to kind of hear that as well. And we talk about kind of what's a really, really heavy on mindset. So if you want to head over to Andrew's social media, click in the links below. So I really do hope you enjoy the episode with Andrew Coates. Andrew, how are we, sir? Shane, thank you for having me. I'm good today. It's your evening, my morning. I know. Conversation across the pond. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's and I'm I'm very grateful for you coming on because I wanted to have to get you on for a while because uh, I know we've had two of your friends on, we've had uh, Jordan Syed on, we had Brett Contreras on, so it's completed the trilogy, got the completed the sticker book now. So for anyone that may not know who you are, Andy, can you give us a little bit of a quick snippet of what you do and, and where and what, where you're from and all that? Um, I'm in Edmonton, Canada, although I'm originally from the. East coast of Canada, um, Newfoundland, which has a lot of cultural similarities to Ireland. And I am actually an Irish citizen, having never stepped foot on the island. Mom was born there in Dublin. Uh, so I have the Irish passport. But uh, I moved to the west west side of Canada. Um, I've been a personal trainer for a little over 12 years. Started out in a commercial gym, um, six years there. And then I've had my own company. I contract at a friend's gym the last six plus. And then along the way, started a podcast with a friend that's been going for over five years. And then I started writing for my website, which led to an invitation to write for T Nation, which turned into Generation Iron, the Personal Trainer Development Center, Muscle Fitness, uh, Men's Health most recently, uh, a few others. And now I'm working on you know even more projects. And then I started getting invitations to start speaking at events, which really blew up last year. So I'm coming off of eight events in 2022. I've got a whole bunch uh, coming up this year and we're rebooting our own. So it's there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm still a full-time in-person coach with an online coaching business and an online group project with a partner. So loads of cool stuff. It, it's exciting. It's a credit to you for being for so busy. It's also a credit to you for having those boundaries. Because I think that's going to be that, that's a big thing, and I know that's one of the things that we're going to talk about now. Is and a lot of your content is kind of it's very simple, but it's very well put, and it's very like anyone can relate to it. And I think one of the big things that I think from a person who would generally listen to this podcast, which is John and Mary down the road, who are busy working professionals, there are nutritionists and stuff listen to it as well. But one of the big things that I could I from one of the pieces of content you put out was the importance of kind of leading by example as a parent to your kids and how how people can make sure that they do that for themselves because we're all great at being busy, but we may not be great at leading by example. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? So I have to preface this by saying that I am myself not a parent, which is one yeah. of the reasons why I have so much time to be able to do everything I do. So we have to be very respectful of the fact that parents have a very different dynamic than the, I mean, I'm 44, you know, but the young fitness professional who says, well, you have to do this and you have to do this. And there's not a lot of time constraints on what they're facing versus say a parent. But we are dealing with an ever increasingly obese population, right? And there are going to be the people who the ideological tribe that screech and, and fight and like go nuts. And they have this, this very false belief, this false narrative that there's no relationship with obesity and long-term health outcomes. And we've kind of COVID was almost like the, the the nail in the coffin of almost tolerating that stuff because of just the strong relationship between the severity of COVID outcomes uh, when compared to people with who are obese or who have other major comorbidities. Now, th th that gets into lots of murky ideological fucking fighting that I don't even want to be a part of. What matters is what's the actual impact on the everyday person? It's no longer helpful. It's certainly not helpful to shame people and beat them to death with this narrative that obesity isn't healthy. That doesn't work, right? It doesn't change behavior. It certainly isn't helpful to lie to them and say, hey, no, there's no relationship with your long-term health outcome and being obese. We know that it's very 
challenging. It's not impossible, but it's challenging to reverse significant obesity. It can be done. There's also some narratives that make people feel like it's pointless. Honestly, I think it's probably one of the most, if you are concerned with your long-term health outcome and you are quote overweight, you have a lot of excess body fat, it's probably the thing you should be working most aggressively on to improve your long-term odds. Yes, there are other factors at play, but the single greatest thing, probably aside from quitting smoking, if you're a smoker, that will dramatically turn around your you know, long-term health outcome odds is to lose the excess body fat, right? And that's scientific fact at this point. There are going to be people who won't like hearing that and they're going to fight about it, but th these things are very well established now with research. So we have the current generation that is struggling with this and we have a younger generation of kids. We, I can't remember exactly, there was some sort of study that came out recently talking about the physical and mental health benefits benefits of exercise for children and adolescents. I mean, Jesus Christ, groundbreaking research. Shit, this is common sense. We've known this, right? We don't need studies to prove this crap. But we do, and people like to blame technology and, and like smartphones, devices, all this sort of stuff. This There's a book called Built for Tomorrow by a guy named Jason Pfeiffer. Really, really good book. It's actually about something different, but it does highlight how a lot of these like hysterias over technological change are actually old hysterias just repackaged how like when novels writing for the masses came around there was this ideological outrage over how this would be this all oh, this terrible detrimental thing or when cars first were on the roads people were freaking out about <clears throat> this stuff because well it was replacing horses like th these 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 things are cycles that repeat so we've been here before and of course, the novels weren't the issue, but we do have a society that is more convenient. We do have a vast abundance of very, very high calorie, hyper palatable food that wasn't around anymore. And while genetics is an overplayed narrative that also doesn't really hold a lot of water, genetics play a role. It really is the environment that we're immersed in. So what do we have control over? Well, we have to shape the environment and parents in a very significant way, shape the environment for their children. Children model what their parents do. And it's tough enough being a parent, but we've got a two-for-one opportunity where if parents are struggling to make time for themselves to focus on their own health, then if you can find an environment, the gym that I contract out of allows kids to be there to see you work out. You can have your kids there as long as they're not literally swinging from everything and misbehaving and running around and getting under other people's weights. So if we can put kids in these environments, and it's it, it, people always freak out too. They're like, oh, don't force your kids to, to work out. It's, it's not about forcing kids to do anything. It's about letting them see these environments, letting them be in this world. So that way in, they grow up with a, the opportunity to choose this, or it's a normal and familiar environment if they rediscover it later in life versus how many people are in their 30s or 40s, who never had any exposure to gyms, have all these misconceptions about what gym environments are like. They're very intimidated by the idea. They don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge. And now they're 50 plus pounds overweight at feeling unhealthy and now want to change their lives. And they're struggling to know where to start. We can give a, an incredible gift to you know a new generation of kids and I don't like saying that this generation is sort of lost when it comes to obesity, but we know it's a really hard battle and we're not making an, any real progress on an aggregate level, individually, sure. But we can set the next generation up for, you know, 
they give them greater advantages if they simply are used to this environment, if they feel safer, if they feel more comfortable, if it's normal, and they have some of the attitudes and the skills as they grow up to be able to utilize that environment. And it also does not need to be a physical gym. There's another, I've got a viral post that you're referring to. And then if people always freak out and they lose their minds about it and they say, overwhelmingly, the response is super positive, but you always get these idiots that freak out and say, no, kids should be outdoors. It's like, really, if this is a proxy for getting kids involved in any physical activity, let them grow up playing sports. You know, let's stop with this bullshit about these, these notes that allow them to skip out on phys, phys ed class, right? stuff like that. You know, make sure these kids are participating, make sure they're exposed to it, make sure it's an environment that it's actually welcoming and not a shame-based, pressure-based environment. And it, it is ultimately the parents, within the parents' control and bandwidth, within reason. I mean, not everybody has the same resources, not everybody has the same time, but you can carve out the time for you to be active while also doing something that models these healthy behaviors for your kids. And there's a whole lot to it, but I think it really boils down to letting them see it, giving them that advantage. And then as they grow up, they have those advantages and they're in a position to make those choices. One of the big things that a lot of people can struggle with, in particular parents, I'm not a parent either. So this, the two of us have to be kind of like cautious and a bit careful. Like we're on coming from a kind of a different background to those who we're talking to. And sometimes you have to stay in your lane on things. But one of the big things a lot of people can struggle with is that they see kind of fitness as, or kind of, losing weight or putting on muscle or doing cardio or doing going for a walk as being selfish. How do you change that narrative? Because it's so ingrained in culture and society at this stage. But how do we how do you make sure the next generation like I know it's it's leading by example, but there has to be some element of kind of like awareness of the problem first. It's a mindset shift. And, and what you're you're alluding to, especially with caregivers, especially with moms, there's sort of this societal expectation norm that caregivers come last. And any appearance to do something for yourself, which includes working out, being physically active, is somehow a selfish thing. But ask any of those caregivers who have been who've succumbed to that narrative about their energy level and their physical and emotional capacity to be a parent. Or a caregiver, especially if you got a you know an elderly parent who who is you know limited in whatever capacity. I believe that if you can mind, mindset shift to say, put yourself first in the sense that you're prioritizing your physical health and well being. First of all, you're actually putting yourself at an advantage so that way maybe you're not a burden to someone later in life too, and that's not about blame, but it's just about reality. But two, if you have greater physical strength, if you have greater emotional well-being, a deeper well to to pull from when it comes to raising and taking care of your kids or taking care of someone else, then you have the energy to do it. So the time that you take for yourself to work out, to build a physical strength, to build a stamina, to develop the kind of resilience that you know working out tends to foster then I think we have a greater well of reserves to be able to do the other things as parents, as caregivers, right? And it's easy to say it, you know, and everybody's situation is unique, but I do believe that on average, this has a lot of power. And it goes back to our previous discussion where you're also modeling this behavior for kids. And it does become breaking from the societal 
attitude that it is selfish to do these things for you when you have other people to, to take care of. And it's it's breaking that. And sometimes we just got to smack the face with it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people just have to be repeatedly exposed to this message and to know that, hey, this is okay. And the more people that make it normal to prioritize their own physical and emotional well-being, the less pressure it will be on someone else to conform to societal norms, traditional norms. And the more examples of people who they can then turn around and model and they can start saying, hey, it's actually really okay for me to care about working out and no one's going to judge me. Uh, because in a day, you know, we, we deal with a lot of societal pressure, guilt, shame, a lot of different narratives. If you really want to get in that stuff, go read Brene Brown's work. Brilliant, brilliant books. But sometimes we have to sort of discard that stuff a little bit and do what ultimately is best for us um, for the greater outcome. And does a role of the people we're surrounding ourselves with have any have a role in that as well? Like the partners that we choose or the family like that. Sometimes it can be like we're modeling ourselves on what was before us. So obviously the next generation are going to pick that up again. So it's kind of like almost like cutting off that circle and stopping that circle. It does take the the fortitude and the the bravery, the willingness to break from those norms and those that pattern that's handed down. We don't necessarily have a lot of choice. We certainly can't choose our family very easily. It's very difficult to sort of remove, you know, blood blood relatives from our life. People do it sometimes. I don't think we're talking about that, but I think it it becomes boundaries around unwelcome comments, attitudes, behaviors. Or just simply avoiding certain topics that become shame triggers. Again, another thing that Brene Brown talks a lot about. So that way we're we're dealing with less of these stresses. And then we feel more comfortable in doing the things that are just in our best interest. And for, as for the other people we surround ourselves with, you know, friends and you know, people we choose to be in relationships with. Yes, I mean, these things are profoundly important. I think we talk about it in a way that's a little too cavalier and a little too, I don't want to say Machiavellian, but you know, a little too strategic. I mean, it's not that simple. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go pick these people because I think they're going to be the best people around me, blah, blah, blah. But we can put ourselves in environments and try to seek out like-minded people. And if we are you know, choosy about a partner, if we don't have a, you know, a long-term life partner in our life yet, then these are filters that we can run these sort of decisions through. But, you know, I think, I think we're running a bit of far afield with this particular part. So no, but, like, I, mean, I, 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 I I do think it is an important element of it, like the the, the kind of like the the selfishness, the narrative needs to be changed. And as you said, Brené Brown stuff, people just want to. I think there's a documentary on. I think there's a program on Netflix if people want to watch Netflix, or if there's there's stuff on YouTube and stuff if people don't like reading. And there's loads that she's on. She has her own podcast, I think, as well. If someone wants to listen on the go as well, so on audio books, there's loads of different things about Brené. So I would highly recommend. Um, one of the other things that kind of comes in um, an awful lot that kind of particularly with this kind of January buzz that's kind of going on at the minute of kind of like kind of post Christmas kind of new year, new me, that kind of thing. And one of the the, the, the main factors that people tend to go down is that the restriction element of things. And you talk about the importance of kind of don't feel restricted by trying to eliminate foods you treasure and try to include those. Can you talk about why that's so important? Yeah. I like to have a lot of fun with this one. So, you know, think about, here's what I get people to focus on. We, we, we want to 
shrink the change. We want them, and this is something that Chip and Dan Heath talk about in their book, Switch, about behavior change. If we can make the change feel less daunting. So I like to point out to people, all right, think about what are the foods that you will love, things that are non-negotiable, things that you really look forward to. And then what are the kind of things that you have on a regular basis out of convenience, out of boredom, out of not thinking ahead, planning ahead, and rushing around and just needing to eat something. And we can usually think about a whole bunch of stuff. My favorite example is, and I rarely am in, in these environments, but you know, if you're in the mall, and of course, there's always mall food court Chinese food, as opposed to, and it looks good, and it always very alluring. And for years, I would go and I would grab this, whatever, like, you know, back then it was probably 10 bucks for a big plate, but it's probably double that now. And it was always unsatisfying. It was never very good. It certainly was not as good as we all have that Chinese food restaurant that we order from once or twice a year that is premier, that costs eight times as much as the mall food court stuff, but it's fantastic, right? So you're always thinking, oh, the mall food court stuff, it looks like it'll be as good as the really good Asian stuff. It's not. And then you regret having eaten it. You usually feel kind of uh after eating it. You then go, well, I spent money on this. Oh, now I've gotten all these calories. And it's not just for things like mall food court, Chinese food. It's it's whatever we do, convenient, fast, whatever bullshit stacks we keep around in the house that we're not fulfilled by. And we eat this high calorie stuff and we're not fulfilled by it. <clears throat> so then we feel entitled to have something else that we really like. So we still then go and enjoy the things we really like, whether it's a, you know, a little bit of good scotch or it's some apple pie or whatever else that's a real treat that you love, right? Or, or good pizza. And what I ask people to do is, all right, just be conscientious of the things that really matter versus the things that we just tend to eat too much of that make us feel like shit anyway. And then, okay, what are the meals that you love that you are home-cooked, good quality meals? Like I will bake, and it's actually very easy for me to do because I'm busy. I'll bake a salmon in the oven, put a bit of seasoning salt on it. I'll slice up some Brussels sprouts, put a little bit of olive oil on it throw that in the oven as well and boil some rice on the stove. And I actually really like that meal. I find it's tasty. You know, again, you, I put a little bit of soy sauce on it, no big deal, but overwhelmingly it's pretty healthy stuff. And I can make a batch of six meals in one shot. Probably takes me an hour. Half of that time I can literally chill out on the couch and I don't even have to watch it. And I would rather eat that than have a burger on the go. I would. I would rather that. I also make a lean ground turkey pasta that I really like. Okay. You know, if there's higher calories. Sure. I'm a big guy. I need the calories. So I can adjust the calories to my needs and then I'll make that in batches. And I would rather eat that stuff. I'm much more fulfilled by that than I am by anything that I could get on the run. I'll, I'll make eggs in the morning, some oatmeal with some protein powder, and I'll make smoothies as opposed to what? Going, waiting in a you know, a drive-through for some crappy McMuffin or like we've got Tim Hortons here and, you know, Canadians are kind of funny. They either love their Tim Hortons. I think Tim Hortons coffee is garbage and their food, their breakfast sandwiches. It, it looks my, my idea, this stuff's disgusting. Like I actually think this is gross, but a lot of people literally, this is the breakfast they'll get on the go. And I mean, meanwhile, you're probably in order to go to this place and wait in line or whatever, it's probably 15 to 20 minutes extra anyway. Well, Quite frankly, you can cook eggs on the stove and microwave some oatmeal, and that all told will probably take you about 20 minutes. Make your coffee at home, save a little bit of money. So it's it's about mindset. It's about planning a little bit ahead, but it's also the realization, wait a second, 
There's actually a better way that's win across the board. It costs less. It's actually not as time-consuming or perhaps maybe equal. And it tastes better. So it's win, win, win across the board. We just got to get people to shift that attitude. So I like going at that stuff. And if you take care of these kind of things, and then you realize, wait a second, it's not about extreme cycles of restriction. I can never have the things I love ever again. It's it's cut out the crap that you don't even feel fulfilled by and enjoy. Eat healthy stuff that's not hard to prepare that you like a lot. You'll be more fulfilled. And then you've saved room for the things that truly matter. And all of a sudden, it, it's not hard. It's not a cycle of this extreme restriction and starvation. We build it up in our mind that we have to white knuckle, willpower the, our way through it until the point where we, well, I gave it a good try. A lot of, I don't like shooting down New Year's resolutions because that's not fair. A lot of people have good intentions, but we have to go about it a better way. And I think what a lot of people ultimately do with the idea of a New Year's resolution is they do it in the back of their mind, knowing that, well, they're going to try, but they set themselves up to do something that's completely unsustainable. And then when they can't keep it up, then they say to themselves, well, I'm just not the kind of person that could do this anyway. I tried. Therefore, this is pointless. I'm just going to do everything the way I always did. And in their mind, it sort of alleviates the guilt because they tried, right? And so they, they, it sort of puts their mind at ease for the feeling of, well, I should be doing something different. They've proven to themselves they can't. They absolutely can't as a person. They're just doing it the wrong way, wrong attitude, wrong tactics. You mentioned the word kind of plan in there. And why do you think so many people are hesitant to make some sort of strategy or plan like you said there like we're not trying to put down new year new me at all but if you're only kind of kind of like half arsing it or you're only kind of going to half commit to the whole thing there's already a flow in the process so because they don't they don't want to give up the old lifestyle they think that they built up this idea that if they give up everything that they love and they're they're currently doing then they they don't get to have any of those things anymore so they think that lifestyle transformation means you know, misery and not having the things they they like. When in fact, if you cut out the things that are just negatives anyway, and you add in things that actually really aren't that unreasonable, and then people start to enjoy it, they both enjoy the things they're doing, but they also enjoy the way they feel, they won't want to go back. And that's a big key is to have the open mind to say, you know, once I start making some of these changes, you actually have more room to enjoy the things that matter. Like I, I just put up something today. It's like the working out is not meant to replace life. It's meant to enhance it in such a way that it gives you room to go. If you want to go on a Mexican vacation and maybe drink a bit more and, you know, eat whatever, you're probably going to lose weight because you're probably just going to, you know, get sick anyway, <laughs> the way that things go in Mexico. So, and, and jokes aside, but you can go and you can enjoy a vacation. You can go for a family holiday dinner and have everything you want and mom's pie. Because you're doing most of the rest of the week and most of the rest of the year pretty consistently well to where you've got better energy and you created room where that holiday weekend or day or whatever does not undo a, co a complete lifestyle, like a positive lifestyle. The problem is, is when every weekend there's an excuse and then the week is spotty 
And then every weekend, there's somebody's birthday, or there's some sort of party, or there's a holiday, or there's a sporting event, and it always becomes a justification to go completely off the rails. And then it's like, well, I've blown it. So therefore, the rest of that weekend is blown. And then finally, maybe there's a reset on Monday. And I think we've just got to get people around to this idea, like literally eating better and being active just feels fucking better. But it doesn't take away anything that you truly will miss. Yeah, okay. The And again, I, I don't like this low-hanging fruit either, but it is honest. It's like the people who say they don't have time, they're pretty current on probably about eight to 12 Netflix shows or various other things. They, they watch a lot of TV or they spend a lot of time on social media, YouTube. Well, there's room for the things that really matter, but just check the activity box first, you know, get the meals cooked, but, you know, make sure that your workouts, whatever form your active lifestyle takes, that's done. And then the time left over in most people's lives, there's probably still time to watch the things that really matter. I got away from watching TV, much of TV, a very long time ago. And I don't miss it. I don't crave it. I'll watch a few things. The Witcher. I'm looking forward to season three, but they bungled that whole thing too. So even The Witcher, I may just say, ah, to hell with this stuff. And I wasn't interested in the new Lord of the Rings thing because that looked like a farce. And, you know, I did the first Game of Thrones. I really wasn't interested in the second one. And it's cool if you like those things. And you can make room for one of those shows or two of them a week, but not at the expense of not being active and then watching all this other junk television. Anyway, enough on that diatribe too, because I don't want to shame people for enjoying TV either. No, I think it's important to have some sort of balance. It's just it's to figuring out what balance is for the individual. And I, I like I had I had Danny Matrangon, he's he's an American PT and coach, and he was talking about the same thing about kind of like getting parents to kind of get them moving a bit more. And one of the things he said is a lot of the time it's down to the expectation of how long it's actually going to take. So they think that they need to do one hour sessions in the gym or hour and a half long sessions in the gym. But if you even move 15 or 20 minutes a day, that's a lot better. That's going to move that needle forward towards the direction you want to go. So even if, if you break it down that way, doing 10 minutes, 15 minutes for yourself, it's going to benefit you more than doing nothing, which is what a lot of people end up doing. There's obviously going to be times where life ramps up, where things need to be prioritized and stuff like that. But from from what I can see from having coached people is a lot of people aren't clear on their values or their values don't mm-hmm. evolve. They're not very valued on their values compared to other people. And it's hard to say, it's hard to hear it sometimes. And they're way down. So no wonder they don't get hit, but that's been taught to them. From somewhere um yep. from shame from bullying from trauma from grief from loads of different things that molds us but it doesn't mean it has to shape the future uh if you kind of make sure if you're kind of getting counseling and kind of talking to someone and working through it it's uncomfortable as fuck don't get me wrong but it can be worked through i've seen it time and time again with clients the ones that are prepared to get that a little bit more uncomfortable are the ones that come out the other side um one of the kind of like the common things that kind of comes in kind of question wise or kind of training and nutrition and stuff is can you lose fat and muscle and kind of gain muscle at the same time because there's been a lot of kind of talk about it recently i think it's i don't know some topics just come up they're seasonal i don't know what it is but can you build can you lose fat and build muscle at the same time sure our industry likes to argue about certain things there are three circumstances where 
you can see both things happen concurrently with beginners. So you want to think about muscle building as within genetic limitations. So everybody has a genetic limit essentially on how much muscle they can build. And the more, the closer you are to your genetic ceiling on sheer muscle mass, the slower the process is and the harder it is. So, you know, you think about people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold, great example of someone who great genetics for, for building muscle, right? Most pro virtually any pro bodybuilder probably does. Don't worry. I'm going to deal with the other aspect of that in a second, but anybody who's just starting out, who has a bit of body fat, who doesn't have a lot of muscle, if they start working out and they're relatively within calorie maintenance and getting adequate protein to build muscle, they're going to see some fat loss and they're going to see muscle gain. Beginners build muscle very easily, almost no matter what the stimulus is anyway. So it's just, it's easy at that point. The second situation is someone who has a lot of body fat. So someone who already has a, a fairly significant amount of body fat, you know, they can be in a calorie deficit start losing body fat, but they have excess fuel available to them. If they're also working out and training hard, they can build muscle while concurrently also losing body fat because it's, you get someone who's got a lot of body fat and they get them into a bit of a deficit and you get them active, they can actually lose their body fat fairly rapidly, right? Uh, and then for the people who get on with the, the hormone stuff, okay, hormones play a role, sure, but they, they don't defy calories in, calories out. So unless someone, and it's very rare, but unless someone really has some sort of serious issue with their thyroid uh, or their metabolism is, is very much affected by it, which is far more rare than people like to claim. It's just people are very, people are bloody awful at knowing just how much food they're eating. And it's not necessarily that they're lying. They're usually lying to themselves. And that's usually the problem, right? So we, we want to give people that little smack in the face just so that way they're kind of aware, all right, here's what's really going on. Uh, and yeah, so that can happen too. And then the third situation is when you deal with anabolic steroids. So if you get people who are on anabolic drugs, those are obviously enhanced muscle building. They're definitely muscle sparing when uh, you know competitors are dieting down, try to get really lean versus say natural competitors who are just going to lose more muscle when they when they diet down. So in that situation, uh, anabolic drugs can absolutely create an environment where someone is building muscle and losing body fat at the same time. Now. It's still common in that realm to go for more of the traditional bulk and cut cycle because it's still a more efficient way to put on a significant amount of muscle mass and then diet down for show. So even still, but yes, those three circumstances for a fairly intermittent to experienced intermediate to experienced gym goer who is quote natural, who is reasonably lean it is going to be very difficult to see both of these effects happen concurrently. In that situation, it's not like you have to gain a whole bunch of body fat in order to build muscle. And it's not like you have to lose a whole bunch of muscle in order to drop body fat. But it's you're probably going to need to focus on one or the other more deliberately. And to go into, you don't have to go through aggressive bulk and cut cycles, but effectively, you will have to be in some type of bulking stage and you will have to then go through some sort of cutting stage if the long-term goal is to gain a significant amount of muscle mass and stay really lean in the process. I think for your average person, if you attend to you know fairly good calorie intake to, towards maintenance or slight surplus, if you are already fairly lean 
And if you're training hard and you're optimizing protein, and the goal is not as much muscle as possible. It's more of a lifestyle. Hey, I want a bit more muscle. I want to get stronger. I want to feel healthy, good for my physical mental health. I don't think you need to do the bulk and cut cycles. I don't think you need to do anything aggressive. I think you just show up at the gym. You auto-regulate or track your nutrition to where you're noticing, hey, I'm gradually gaining muscle. I'm gradually gaining weight, but I'm staying lean. And in, I've actually more followed. I'm a pretty big guy at 6'2". And I mean, right now, I'm probably about 250 pounds, about as big as 260. But over the years, I've largely kind of focused on that approach versus very aggressive bulk work. I don't think I've ever done a cut cycle in my entire life. And I'm 44. I've been working out for over 20 years. So, you know, I've had periods of time where I've auto-regulated my calories down a little bit and cut out some of the indulgences because I'm like, all right, I'm feeling a little bit softer than I want to be. But usually that works out pretty well. So that's the answer. I really, it, it's like a, it's brilliantly broken down. It's, it's 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 simple and easy to understand. I really like that kind of methodology towards the end of kind of like if you're someone that doesn't really want to count calories or someone that wants to go for a different approach, it's kind of like, right, if you're just John or Mary looking to make it more part of your life, look at reining things in a slight bit, removing one little snack in the evening or maybe adding in an extra snack if you're looking to um, add on that a little bit more timber and kind of like um, do it that way. Um, you mentioned one of these things that was quite, it was quite an interesting concept. We're kind of, because uh, I don't really like the word, but I understand what the post means. You mentioned about kind of creating a list of treats uh, that you value and love and, and, and no list for the mediocre one. Can you explain what that is? Because I think it can a lot of people can it, it could be red flags for some people and it, it's tricky navigating this stuff so i like the word treat because i turn like we all have our things we all have our biases and sometimes people argue about like the word cheat i personally have a bias against using the word cheat meal or cheat day some people do it i don't like policing these things that's fine like I, you start fighting and policing over the way we use language you start getting ourselves in a lot of trouble and then our industry just loses the end user because we're fighting with each other over the the semantics of this stuff i find that a treat has a positive connotation and that the word cheat has a negative connotation so if we look at things and we say what are the desserts we love or the treats we love because a dessert, you know, not all treats are desserts, right? A treat might be pizza. A treat might be, you know, again, a glass of scotch. I like good scotch. And so th this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's about identifying the things that really matter. It's the same concept. And then when we can kind of look at this, this list of, all right, here's the things that I eat on a regular basis. I don't enjoy. I don't feel fulfilled by. They're a waste of money and they're a waste of calories. And here is this mental list of things I'm like... I really like this. This matters to me. I enjoy it. The idea is to try to break the cycle of guilt. If we can lessen the frequency, the amount of the, the convenient crap that we don't even really feel good about, and that stuff tends to leave us feeling guilty, and then we're also not making progress on our fitness goals. Imagine you get someone who just changes their mindset, and they lose some weight, and they feel more energetic, and they're working out, and they feel good. And they feel less shame-based shit in their mind about the whole experience of eating. And then it allows them to enjoy the, quote, treats that matter. Then you don't feel deprived or restricted. Then I think that's a recipe for long-term success, right? So that's why I think if we can identify the things that truly matter to us, 
the word treat or cheat or or whatever we want to call it, I think we're setting someone up for for long-term success. My brain works this way. I really like apple pie. I'll have, this is pizza place I used to order from for years. And I just really kind of got to the point where I thought it was getting mediocre, but a new pizza place came in and I ordered something from it a couple of times. I'm like, all right, this is actually really good. I also like Dairy Queen blizzards. And I realized I really do like them. And I like, you know, a nice glass of scotch. You can see behind me. Yeah, I can see the cabinet. Yeah, yeah. And good Irish whiskey, by the way, Napogue Castle 14. If I, It's so hard to find, but God, it's good stuff. But at the same time, I'm not sitting down and drinking a quarter of a bottle of booze every night. I will sit down and have, and I've got these really nice Royal Dalton uh, crystal glasses. And I will pour, you know, maybe two ounces of a good 18-year scotch in that glass. And I will sit down and maybe I'm doing a bit of writing or just it's something to just celebrate some sort of positive win. It's a little ritual because that to me, I remember my grandfather, old Irish doctor in Newfoundland, very successful man, architect of a, you know, basically not, not literally the architect, but basically built one of the hospitals there. He was a chief of staff, chief of radiology and the associate dean of the medical school back there. Right. Very success, successful man. I remember growing up, you know, and he'd sit there and he'd have like his crystal glass and he'd have scotch in it. And I won this decanter set with these glasses years ago, just at a door prize at a Christmas party for the company I used to work for. And I just started dabbling in scotch a little bit and realized, hey, I really enjoy it. But I think there's also a really strong emotional relationship with this, right? My, my grandfather also smoked a lot, right? And there's, there, you know, that generation were different. So I'm not picking up smoking as this habit to, you know, stay in touch and, and conjure this connection with my grandfather. But for me, just sitting down and enjoying a glass of scotch is a positive, guilt-free sort of thing. We know the de detrimental effects of alcohol, especially if it's running your life and you're drinking it all the time. I drink profoundly less booze than I ever did. But when I do it, it's far more meaningful. And it's, it's something that is an experience that I actually treasure. So when I get the foods that I consider treats, they're, they're positives and I've gotten away from, you know, we can all have these cycles of guilt where we feel, Hey, I shouldn't have gone and eaten that. And, you know, now if I feel like, first of all, I'm careful not to give any impulse, but sometimes I feel like, Hey, I want a Dairy Queen blizzard. Cool. I just came from the gym. I'll drive swinging through the drive through go get one. And honestly, they're good, but I know I couldn't get away with all this stuff. If I was also drinking a lot of booze on a consistent yeah, basis, yeah. And most of my meals were drive through meals or high calorie. I wasn't thinking ahead to plan, I wouldn't have the physical or mental energy to do all of the things that I'm doing. And therefore I wouldn't have as much to celebrate all these wins to sit down and enjoy a glass of scotch. So it's either a vicious downward spiral or a, a compound effect of positives. And I've just thankfully due to attitudes and things I've read and mind shifts and, you know, natural inclinations and work ethic and the people I've surrounded myself with and the, and, and just the, the stuff that, I immerse myself in the examples of other people who do really well for years and years and years. It's just built this foundation that has turned out to lead to a lot of good things. And then I try to share those things in an, in a form that I think is accessible or applicable to the everyday person who's maybe not a fitness professional. And I hope, honestly, I think the series of questions, the way we've gone through it has led through a lot of that. It has. And, and the, the, the content that you put out is it's kind of like, it's, it's it's to the everyday person it's not aimed at pts it's not aimed at nutrition it's just to get an ego stroke it's aimed at mm. someone 
that is looking to make a change and it's implementing well how can you make that change changing the mindset changing your tactics that you're using and as andrew has said like andrew enjoys having a drink andrew enjoys having the the the, the sweet uh taste of um we don't have them in ireland so i can't remember I think their claws i think you mentioned the drive-through um treat that you mentioned but they're part of his balanced life. He's not taking them out. He's not justifying his actions to having them. It's like, well, if I want one, I'll have one. And it's part of his life. He's including it. It's an inclusive um, diet, an inclusive, healthy relationship with things and himself and food. And that's, I think, what when genuinely a lot of people can get confused is they, when I when I when I ask clients, kind of, like, well, what does healthy eating actually mean? And the best answer I've ever heard is from a, a guy over in um, Australia, New Zealand, Simon Hill. He goes, healthy eating is a relationship when it doesn't impact your relationship with food. It's the best answer I've ever heard because too many people are like, well, I'm going to eat healthy. It's like, but that's not a plan. That's a statement. How are you going to eat healthy? Make a plan. Was it going to be increasing your vegetables? Is it going to be adding a little bit more protein into your diet? Is it going to be adding a little bit more water? Too many people, when they try to go on these crazy quick fixes, one that makes the process longer, but it also involves taking things out. And then when we can't match up to it, we knock ourselves down and then we beat ourselves up. Add things into your life that you enjoy as a hell of a lot more fulfilling to yourself. And you probably won't want the, the things that you put on a pedestal more by having that kind of exposure to it. Um, and there is there's massive research on that already. Um, I know, I, I know, Andrew, you've got you were tight for time. So just say a massive thank you for for coming on. I think there's a, an awful lot of kind of mindset stuff there. And where can people find out about you, about the podcast, potential talks that are coming up, and where can people f- come work with you as well? Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Um, all roads go through Instagram at Andrew Coates Fitness C O A T E S. Uh, and I mean, my, my website, www.andrewcoatsfitness.com, but go check out Instagram. If you have questions, message me there. And then I'm happy to share other resources that are appropriate to you, whether it's stuff I've created or some of my friends, uh, you know, people like Jordan site, you mentioned Danny Matranga is wonderful. That may be really helpful to you. I've got a lot of people in the industry who do various things well better than I do. And I have limited bandwidth to create all the resources. So, um, but thanks, uh, Shane, I really appreciate you having me on here. So no thank worries. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for Andrew for coming on to the podcast. I've, I love Andrew's work. I think he is, his mindset is incredible. I really do hope you've learned something from that episode. So it's really, really important that if there's something in there you're unsure of, just pop me a DM, pop Andrew DM. He he answers his DMs more than his emails. So I really do hope you've learned that. I hope you've enjoyed it. As always, please do leave a review up on iTunes or on Spotify because the way that the kind of the rankings go for the, the charts and stuff is the most people who follow it or that review it. So please do kind of make sure you're doing that. Share it with friends. And if you are interested in working with me in the group coaching capacity or in a one-to-one capacity, click on the links in the show notes or pop me a DM. So thank you so much again for listening to the podcast.